0: On this episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast, we'll be talking about the largest tsunami that ever occurred. Welcome to Mystery Kids Podcast. Welcome back. We're so glad to have you here this wonderful December. I don't know what happened this year, but we're already at the end of it. So that means we've got December birthday shoutouts. A happy birthday to Charlotte Taylor, Mary Catherine, Willie Bob, Nora, Finian, Annabelle, Max, Poppy, Allie Teal, Hudson, and Mia. We hope you have a fantastic birthday. And we've had a bunch of new patrons that just signed up. We are up to 60 patrons, which I appreciate it so much. That helps to keep our podcast to keep running and supports our little family. So we appreciate it so much. So if you are a new patron member, just make sure to message me with your child's name on Patreon And I will make sure that I add them to one of the podcast episodes. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. The newest Patreon episode was all about Skinwalker Ranch or more about the history of Skinwalker Ranch because it ended up being so long that I was like, this has to be a two-part episode. So if that is something that your child's interested in, make sure to become a patron for $5 a month. Today's story is set in Alaska in 1958 at Latuya Bay. An earthquake strikes on July 9th at... 1015 with a moment magnitude of 7.8 to 8.3 and a maximum intensity of Xi, which means it was an extreme earthquake. Now, what happened after this was that there was a strike slip that happened um which i believe we talked about strike slips in our very very first episode with quake lake remember how at quake lake the like side of the mountain fell into the dam and it created a tsunami well that's basically what happened here so this strike slip happened and it had it was along a fault, it triggered a rock slide of 3 million cubic meters or about 40 million cubic yards and about 90 million tons dumped into this extremely narrow inlet of Latuya Bay. And the impact was heard 80 kilometers or up to 50 miles away so what happened was as this momentum rock slide slid into the water it displaced all the water which created in a mega tsunami and what is a mega tsunami it's a very large wave created by a large displacement of material into a body of water so that's what makes it different than a regular tsunami and a regular tsunami usually like there's an earthquake at the bottom of the floor which makes the water get shifted this A mega tsunami only happens when something kind of gets shoved and pushed into the water. So a side of a mountain would definitely make a mega tsunami happen. So with this sudden displacement of water, it washed out the trees to a maximum elevation. So to the maximum height of 524 meters or 1,720 feet. That's taller than the Empire State Building now because of the unique shape of this inlet this is how it happened because so an inlet is when kind of the land goes in and curves in so you've got like the ocean then there's this little bay inlet that has like a narrow strip of water so the rock slide occurs which causes all of this water to go up the side of the mountain since it's a narrow inlet. So this is the largest and most significant mega tsunami ever recorded in modern times it forced a reevaluation of large wave events and it really began the study of like impactful events such as rockfalls and landslides causing large waves which was never really thought of before latuya bay is an inlet okay um, it's also known as a fjord f j o r d so a fjord is a narrow long inlet with steep sides or cliff, which is usually created by a glacier. Now, fjords exist on the coasts, usually of like Alaska, Antarctica, British Columbia, Colombia, Chile, Denmark, Germany, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands, Iceland, Ireland, Kamchatka. There's a few places, So, but there's all somewhere where it was much, much colder, right? So it was created and formed by glaciers beginning to melt across the land. Which is why this became such a deadly incident, right? Because when you've got such a narrow strip of land with that much volume falling in, it's gonna create a lot, a lot of damage. Since it was able to have enough force to clear trees um, and hit the height of about like 4, 524 meters to 1,720 feet, a total of five people were actually killed during the tsunami, which left many people injured and many homes destroyed in that area. Two people from a fishing boat died as a result of being caught in the wave in the bay, and two more individuals, a fishing boat captain and his Seven year old son were struck by the wave and lifted hundreds of feet in the air by the swell. Luckily and remarkably, both survived with very minimal injuries. In Yucatat, the only permanent outpost which was close to the epicenter at the time, infrastructure such as bridges, docks, and oil lines all sustained damage. I mean, it was a large earthquake on top of there being a massive tsunami. A wave tower collapsed, and a cabin was damaged beyond repair. Sand boils and fissures occurred near the coast of Southeast of there and underwater cables that supported the Alaska communication systems were cut. There was also lighter damage reported in Pelican and Sitka. And not only did like the inside of the bay where it sustained that wave get damaged, um, it created damage across the entire bay because the bay is like a long thing, right? It's super long. So it created a damage line, which means that the trees, the vegetation, everything was gone um, up to 213 meters or 700 feet around the outline of the bay. And the damage is still visible today. From space. You can actually see where it's completely visible. I actually watched a movie a while ago, and um, I believe it was set in Norway. And what happened there was very similar in this account, except for look there was a little town. I, this was not a true story. It was it was just based off a story of what could happen, right? There was a town that was in the base of an inlet, just like this, and they always had like something to track if there was an earthquake, because if there was an earthquake, they were obviously gonna have. A tsunami. Well, it happened and it ended up washing this like whole town away. But it was a crazy story. I'm grateful there wasn't like a town in this inlet. But nobody really understood that that could become a possibility until this happened and how dangerous and deadly this was. So I was just thinking this because I was like, why were people out fishing? at 10 p.m at night you know why they were out fishing at 10 p.m at night because it was july 9th in 1958 again might not make a big difference but in alaska it's still daylight at that point in time i remember we went to alaska It was actually about that time too i was actually i was like i think it was about the second or third week in july and it was daylight constantly like there was no night that's one of the cool parts about Alaska is in the summer it's all daylight of course in the winter it's completely nighttime all the time but that's why people were fishing during that time so that um the tide was ebbing Um, meaning that the tide was pulling out and the weather was super clear. And anchored in a cove near the west side of the entrance bay, Bill and Vivian Swanson were on their boat fishing when the earthquake hit. So this is Swanson's account. With the first jolt, I tumbled out of the bunk and looked towards the head of the bay where all the noise was coming from. The mountains were shaking something awful, with slides of rock and snow, but what I noticed mostly was the glacier, the north glacier, the one they call LaToya Glacier. I know you can't ordinarily see the glacier from where I was anchored. People shake their heads when I tell them I saw it that night. I can't help it if they don't believe me. I know the glacier is hidden at the point where we're in, in Anchorage Cove, but I know what I saw that night the glacier had risen in the air and moved forward so that it was just in sight it must have risen several hundred feet I don't mean it was just hanging in the air it seemed to be solid but it was jumping and shaking like crazy big chunks of ice were falling off the face of it and down into the water that was six miles away and they still looked like big chunks they came from the glacier like like a big load of rocks spilling out of a dump truck that went on for a little while It's hard to tell just how long. And then suddenly the glacier dropped back out of sight and there was a big wall of water going over the point. The wave started just for us right after that and I was too busy to tell what else was happening until there. We also have the account of Howard G. Ulrich and his seven-year-old son, who were actually in Latoya Bay aboard their boat when it happened. And their boat was named Idrie. How cute. Um, so they were anchored in the small inlet on the southern side of the bay. The two had gone out on the water at 200 hour or 20 hours, which would be... I'm going to say eight o'clock p.m. My military time is not on point, but 20 hours when the earthquake hit, it resulted in rocking of the boat that woke Ulrich up. He observed the waves formation from the deck, hearing a very loud smash at the base of Latoya Bay. In his record of the wave, he notes the appearance of it and how it was formed. So he says, the wave definitely started in Gilbert Inlet just before the end of the quake. It was not a wave at first. It was like an explosion of of glacier stuff. The wave came out at the lower part and looked like the smallest part of the whole thing. The wave did not go up to 1,800 feet. The water splashed there. So the wave made its way back to his boat um, in about two to three minutes after he saw it, and it carried the Idri down the southern shore and back near the center of the bay. Ulrich was able to control the boat once the main wave passed, and he was able to maneuver it through subsequent waves of up to 20 feet high. Oh my gosh, he was able to... Could you imagine fishing in Alaska and all of a sudden you're fighting 20-foot waves so he can finally get out of the bay? That is absolutely crazy. Now there is more evidence of past events and um, they say that there were about four to five mega tsunamis that have happened in latoya bay during a 150 year period um there are reports from early explor- explorers of the loss of trees and vegetation along the sor- shoreline and cut tree lines um And then there's at least one and possibly two waves that are known between 1854 to 1916 based off of photographic evidence. And then they have more evidence of the erased and uprooted trees about 150 meters to 492 feet up the sides of the bay in 1936. So there are more cases and possibilities that this happened before. I heard this story a long, long time ago, and it's always fascinated me. So it was really fun to come back to. I hope you loved this episode. Thank you so much for your support. And we'll see you next time on the Mystery Kids Podcast. Thanks for listening.